Nicely done, beef. No matter how you're cooked. Grilled, sauteed, stir-fried, roasted, or stewed. Your savory sounds are music to everyone's ears. Yeah, now that's a dinner playlist. Good cooking at Beef. It's what's for dinner.com. Funded by Beef Farmers and Ranchers. Well, welcome to Sunday Coffee. Tell you what, I needed that sleep last night. And Charlie, I tweeted last night. I'm Bart Gregory, along with Charlie Winfield. And this is Sunday Coffee. We're in the Farm Bureau studios. And I said I needed to uh, get a good night rest. I need to have some music in the background. I put some sleeping baby music in the background last night. Some nursery rhymes, just so I could feel better about today, Charlie. We normally don't talk about basketball, but I feel like we have to after last night, State going on the road and losing to Ole Miss. Charlie, just first and foremost, I want to get your thoughts on how you felt watching that game last night. I tried something harder than nursery rhymes, and I'm not sure that worked very well either. And I'll confess, um, I'm not sure what this says about me, but I spent most of the night watching the scores on my computer screen while watching the Dallas Cowboys play on television in a game that was otherwise meaningless. And I don't know, maybe that says a lot about kind of where I was. I saw us go down early, and I just couldn't put myself through it. It's not a give-up issue. So, you know, some people it's a, I'm done, I'm not watching, I'm turning on the Cowboys. It wasn't that. It's I just don't like putting myself through the torment of rivalry games. Quite honestly, even in football, a lot of times I wish that I could go out in the woods and then just come back four hours later, and I know if we won or lost, save myself the ups and downs of it. So that was kind of the attitude that I brought to it. And, man, I'll tell you, Bart, I don't know how to look at this because one of the things that we've done on this program over the years is we have tried to be analytical. We've tried to be numbers guys. We've tried not to – be just emotional fans, but I'm going to give you a glimpse of my emotional fan reaction, and then you tell me why I'm wrong, okay? My emotional fan reaction is that we are 1-6 in in the first games of the season that we've played against Ole Miss. We've ended up splitting most of those, and then I got to tell you, you know, it, it drives you nuts when you know that Stansberry went in there not many weeks ago and beat this team by like 25, You know, we're not talking about a juggernaut team here. Maybe I bought into the hype too much. Maybe I got a little too excited about transfers and things like that. I don't know. But as a fan, that's one that uh, nursery rhymes didn't get it done for me. Well, I want to talk about what the NCAA tournament selection committee is probably going to think more than anything else. And like you said, Charlie, I want to put up, you know, it'll put the rivalry thought behind me. I don't want to talk about. You know, what's on the – they do count who's on the front of the jersey, but when they're in that room, when they're trying to figure out, and what is the goal of this team is to make the NCAA tournament. When this team was put together, that was it, is to make the NCAA tournament. And when that selection committee gets in there, they don't talk about rivalry games. They talk about analytics and numbers. And the numbers tell me from last night that Ole Miss, and you talk about – losing to Western Kentucky, and they played that game in Atlanta and a couple weeks ago with Stansbury and and Western Kentucky just wiped the floor with Ole Miss. And Samford went in there and won Samford, not Stanford, a few weeks ago and won at Ole Miss. And I'm not trying to downplay, you know, Ole Miss and, and Kermit Davis at all. I'm just saying, hey, here are the numbers. 
Last night going into that game, they were the third worst net ranking team in the SEC. They were 120 going into that game. We were 37 last night going into that game. Coming out of the game, they're at 110. We're at 45. We lost eight spots in the net ranking last night. And I would, you know, I'm not trying to discredit and say, man, I'd feel the same way if we'd gone to Missouri and lost. I mean, yeah, I do feel different. The fan side of me says losing to Ole Miss, and hey, we may come back and split this thing like we've done so many other times. But from a basketball standpoint, last night was essentially going on the road to Missouri and losing. And that's what makes it tough is because now all of a sudden, when you looked at the schedule when it came out in league play, and you knew you had lost three games in non-conference play, and you were going to have to have a really good – and you're going to have to have a really good record in league play to make the NCAA tournament. Beating Arkansas was good. Now, Arkansas turns around and loses to Vanderbilt at home. I don't know what that says about Arkansas. And then all of a sudden, you see how the schedule set up. You had Missouri on the road, a very bad team. Well, that one got postponed. And so many people are sitting there saying, man, hey, we'd be better off not even playing that game because their net ranking is so bad. Well, I mean, we need wins. We need wins now. And now all of a sudden you go to Ole Miss and you lose to a team that has a net ranking of 120 coming in. Now you got Georgia coming in. That's another – that's the worst place team in the SEC as far as net ranking. This part of the schedule was for us and set up for us to bank some wins. And that's the thing that was bad about last night. And hey, listen, so many, so many times you go on the road and somebody has a bad net ranking and you end up losing by three. Now, we were down by 20 early in the second half. Being down by 20, digging that hole. Now, you ask yourself the question, okay, they had a guy that got hot. All of a sudden, he just shot the three. They were a 32% three-point shooting team coming in. They hit nine of 14 shots behind the three-point line in the first half. Well, why is that? Charlie, I play basketball. You play basketball. We all play basketball. You understand how the shooters and the mentality of a shooter. If you get an open look and you knock down three threes in a row because you had an open look, then all of a sudden I'm feeling it. And I know that I have tremendous positivity, if you want to say it that way, in everything that I shoot. And then all of a sudden everything starts falling for you. But it all comes back to – the looks you got early in that game. I thought they had some easy looks early, and then all of a sudden they got hot, and then they start popping shots. Now, we did a good job defensively in the second half, but it comes back to the point of digging a hole that's so big in the first half. And I know we didn't have Tolu, and I know they had a guy that goes off for 30-whatever points he had last night. But at the end of the day, we lost to a team that was ranked 120 in the net on the road And this is a team that when it was put together and all the transfers coming in, going to the NCAA tournament was what everybody was thinking. And losing to a team that's 120 in the rankings, in the net rankings on the road, is not what you had when you thought about this team. Well, I guess I'd say a couple of things to that. First of all, I want to take a little bit of exception to one thing you say. And that is that this team was put together to make the NCAA tournament. Uh, I think the expectation for this team was to get in the NCAA tournament and do something. And I think that's one of the reasons that just getting in isn't enough. And you start to look at, okay, where do you want to go in the NCAA tournament? The worst thing you can do is find yourself as an eight or a nine seed because that means you're going to get 
even if you win, the one in week two. So that's why these games matter. It's not about skirting in, which, candidly, now that that looks to be a fairly lofty goal. Um, Now, to play the other side a little bit, um, you know, you talked about Missouri a couple of times there. Missouri won yesterday at home against Alabama. Um, Now, the difference is Alabama's in a little bit better position historically and where they are in their schedule maybe to to play around that. The other thing about Alabama is, for the most part, Alabama's going to score points. That's the thing I think that frustrates me, our pace of play. Uh, You know, we are a very slow, deliberate team. I I think back, uh, (laughs) one of the things Bob Boyd used to say, he wasn't worried about the 45-second shot clock because we'll turn it over by the time that much time's gone off the clock anyway. When I look at this team, I see athleticism, and I'd like this team to be more athletic. I almost feel like we're taking some of the athleticism out of this team, which ought to be one of our advantages. But to to another point you made, banking wins. I mean, because look what's out there. You got to go to Kentucky. You got to play Texas Tech. You got Florida. You got LSU, Arkansas, Alabama. It's not getting easier. Now you need some wins against some better teams, not to highlight what you have, but to make up for the the deficiency here. Yeah, I saw where Ken Palm on the broadcast last night, and once again, you know, I felt sorry for for Dave and and Joe Klein having to broadcast that game from their house because you just don't get the feel of the game. But I love, I love Dave today. Dave Neal's been on the show several times, and I like Dave a lot. But you talk about pace of play, and Ken Palm has us ranked 321. I don't know how many teams there are in basketball that he ranks. It's 321 in pace of play. Now, the flip side of that, the efficiency side, we're 30th in efficiency offensively in the country. Now, here's the thing. If your pace of play is over 300, you better have a good efficiency or you're getting run out of the gym. That's the thing about it. You're not getting as many opportunities. And so if, if your efficiency it lacks, and I think that's one of the things that, that has been frustrating is you talk about that efficiency, it may go four-minute span where the efficiency is not there. And so what happens in that four-minute span, you know, a deficit goes from five to 18 in a hurry. But you can get that efficiency back late in the game. You know, Ole Miss didn't score in the last four minutes of the game yesterday. So – I understand what you're saying with the pace of play because I don't know what the answer is. Can this team be really? Can this team get hot and win 12 games in a row? I think so, absolutely. Do you have the athletes? Yeah, I think you do. Are you as good as you possibly thought you were? I don't know. You may not may not be. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that that was that's what was frustrating about last night is at the end of the day, the numbers. And, yeah, Missouri did beat Alabama last night. Alabama's kind of been topsy-turvy, a little bit more over the last couple weeks than you thought they would be. But, man, that was just a a bad loss last night from an analytics standpoint. Take away the rivalry. Take away Ole Miss. Take away the hotty toddies, all the tweets, and we run the sip afterwards. It was a bad loss to a bad basketball team. Well, I would like to – and this applies across multiple sports. Here's one thing I would – I think is very important. In Major League Baseball, when the trade deadline comes up, I criticize teams for hugging prospects. And what I mean by that is, if I can put together two guys in double A, and I don't care how good people think they're going to be, if I got some dude hitting 280 in double A and I can trade him for a proven Major League player, do it. Quit hugging the prospects. Doesn't mean you can get rid of all of them, but this whole this guy's off the board. Forget that. So anyway, I, I talk about Major League Baseball teams hugging their prospects. I think across sports, this isn't a Mississippi State basketball issue solely. 
I think it's true in just about every sport we cover. And we're hearing a lot about this now in terms of transfer, quarterbacks, and the like. People got to quit hugging the transfers to some degree. You know, there are guys who transfer who are big-time players, and I get that. But I, I said this the other day, an average quarterback entering the portal is still an average quarterback leaving the portal. And I don't know, maybe we fall sometimes guilty to this idea that, well, even though they really didn't do that much where they were, now when they come here, now we got something. And, you know, you go back and look at our history. Let's talk football for just a second. You know, everybody acts like, man, we got this transfer quarterback. What have the last two transfer quarterbacks done for us? I'm not knocking them, but were they program changing? Was it definitional? And so I go back to basketball. Maybe we were guilty a little bit too much here to, quote, hugging the prospects, hugging the transfers in terms of our expectations. And maybe what we're falling victim to is that we have allowed ourselves to raise expectations beyond where they should be. And maybe we're guilty of that in a lot of sports. And maybe some other teams are talking about million-dollar NIL deals for transfer quarterbacks. Maybe guilty of the same thing. Are you saying that the broad side of the barn may be bigger down at Auburn than it is in College Station? It probably needs to be, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. If they're going to do anything, throw in the football. Well, you start talking about transfers that hit. And one of the guys that hit for us, let's get off of basketball. And this is not this is not a, a fire and brimstone at basketball this morning. It's just, hey, it was a bad loss last night, and you call it is what it is. But Makai Polk was a great transfer for Mississippi State coming from Cal. Put his name in the hat for the NFL draft. You don't know if you're going to see the last of Makai Polk. But I tell you what, he was a guy that came in, and he was really good out of that transfer portal. Well, he's a guy that I wish the – Gregory Farms or whatever you have down in Nanawoya could get a good NIL deal too and maybe keep him another year. In baseball, we talk all the time about the stat war wins against replacement, and you can argue how you calculate it, but the idea of war is how much difference does a guy being in the lineup make in terms of wins for your team over the years as compared to an average guy who would have been called up that day. I think one could make the argument that as we go into next year, Makai Polk had a war of maybe one in football. I think you could make the argument that Makai Polk is the difference in winning or losing one football game over the course of the year. Am I crazy? Oh, no, not at all. Because you know what Makai Polk did not do? He didn't have drops at all. And in this offense where it's all about volume and you're making catches, he made catches, he was good after the catch, he, he was really good. Charlie, did you see last night in the Cowboys game? You said you watched the Cowboys game last night. Did you see where we had a score gummy last night? Oh, no, I missed that. No, so the final score last night was 51-26. to 26, And a score gummy is a unique score that has never been done in NFL history. And last night there are 1,072 unique final scores in the NFL in its history, Okay. Last night, Dallas won 51-26, to and that score had never come to play in an NFL game before. Now, what was interesting is with 150 to go, the Eagles scored the touchdown, could have kicked the extra point to make it 51-26, to but instead went for two, and then Gardner Minshew was sacked in that conversion attempt, so it made it 51-26. to And so 
that's the first time in NFL history. Now, we've had some score already this year. The Rams beat the Giants 38-11 to in Week 6. And then in Week 7, the Cardinals beat the Texans 31-5. to The Colts have had two score this year in Week 9 and then in Week 12. They won 45-30, to which is kind of surprising to me. That score had never been played before. And then 41-15. to So, anyway, last night, as Dak was throwing it all over the field against the Eagles. And, hey, we got we got Dak on one side, and we got some Mississippi State guys on the other. And so with Fletcher Cox and Darius Slay, and so I ain't picking sides. I know you're a big Cowboys fan, and I am too. But at the end of the day, the score got me last night, 51-26, had never happened in NFL history. We talk about whether there are too many bowls. This was the first year, of course, that the NFL's gone to a 17-game regular season. We'll see what happens today. But last night was a preseason game, effectively, between those two teams. It was one of those, you'd like to win it, but it was really, for the Cowboys, about getting Zeke his 1,000-yard season and about getting Dak tuned up and then just getting out of there. I mean, they were out without a lot of guys in that ball game last night. And if they won it, great. If they didn't, eh, that's all right, too. Hey, so many people have asked us when we start talking about football. You know, we had our bowl pick them, and we had our bowl pick them that uh, we had, you know, starting back in early December, where we were going to pick all the bowl games. We had all these entrants, and Charlie, we had a ton of entrants. It was it was crazy, but right now, when you start looking at it, thirty or yeah, thirty four bowl games essentially, when we started out like 41. But, I mean, you had some washouts. You had some teams that, that flipped and went to other bowls and things of that nature. Charlie, we got a couple guys, and only two that are really in a running right now to win this bowl pick em. Billy Blunt in Springdale, Arkansas, and Johnny Hutchison in Jonesboro, Arkansas. So two guys that live in Arkansas, but Mississippi State ties. So you look at Billy Blunt. He's 25-9. and nine. Out of 34 bowl games, this cat has gotten 25 right. I mean, if I'm not saying go to the casino and gamble, but if I was, I'm try, probably taking this guy with me. You know, maybe that's what we need. Maybe we can do away with our deep dig and we can just have a gambling show on Fridays. And we'll get Billy Blunt on to be our handicapper. How about that? Yeah, or Johnny Hutchison. You know, Johnny Hutchison's one off of that. He's 24 and 10. Mark McCormick and Jackson's 24 and 10. Now, Mark can't win it because he has Georgia picked in the national championship game. And then Billy, who's in first place, who's one ahead of him, has Georgia picked in the championship game. Now, where it gets interesting, Charlie, is if Johnny Hutchison, if Alabama wins, which could happen easily, if Alabama wins, Johnny Hutchison and Billy Blunt will have 25 wins. And then what did we say? It goes to the score of the national championship game, the total points in the championship game without going over. One of those guys has 55. The other has 54. All right? So, anyway, that's that's where we are on our bowl pick That's been a lot of fun. We're going to put out some uh, the entire uh, of how people finished the entire run of everything like that when there's a few of you in there that don't need to be going to the casino. We got a couple eleven game winners. Now I will say this, Charlie, I'm ahead of you right now. I've got nineteen wins. You've got sixteen wins. And so I, I've been a little bit better than you have. But 
Anyway, I digress. So that's how our, our bowl pick'em extravaganza has gone, and we will know the finals of that, of course, after the championship game, and we'll release those uh, results on Wednesday. Give us time to tabulate, make sure everything is right. And I went by the other day down in Jackson, picked up that Yeti cooler. It's a big Yeti cooler from Farm Bureau a K2 cooler, a big cooler from Tracks Plus, and so many different things that our sponsors have given. Country Meat Packers is going to send a big uh, a big gift pack, and the city of Startville, Startville College, so Mississippi's College Town has got some stuff as well. And so Strange Brew's got a gift card. Two Brothers has a gift card. So it's a it's been a pretty cool deal with our bowl pick'em extravaganza. No, it has, and I'm a little bit jealous that I can't win. Well, I suppose even if I were eligible, I can't win, given my mere 16 wins. So I don't gamble, Bart. It just doesn't work out for me. All right, so we've talked a little football. we talked a little basketball. Hey, we're about to hit hit the thing you and I really love. We've got baseball right on the horizon. And, you know, every time I go through town now, people are starting to want to talk more and more about baseball. Is Landon Sims going to be a starter? Does Landon Sims need a third pitch to be a starter? What are we going to do with Preston Johnson? How's uh, Jaeger going to be at second base? Who's going to play first? Are you going to keep Hancock there? Are you going to DH him again? What's your outfield going to be? Who's going to be the guy that steps up and all these things? So I want to start with that topic, Bart. When you look at this baseball team, you know, in football we kind of always talk, you know, you're picked to click or things like that. The, part of the question is who's going to replace Tanner Allen? Well, I think back to kind of Moneyball when they're talking about replacing Giambi. Uh, sometimes it takes three guys to do it. Nobody's going to very realistically be Tanner Allen. But then you start to say, who's the guy who can take the biggest jump? I think the guy on this team, I, actually I'd probably say there are two that could take huge jumps from where they were. And I think Logan Tanner can be even better than he was. But I think Luke Hancock, for me, is the guy that can have a monster year. And you say, Why? Well, we know that he's got power. The other thing we know that he does is he he knows the strike zone. This is a guy that walked like 48 times and struck out 17. That's unheard of in modern baseball. He puts the bat on the ball. His batting average on balls in play hurt him. I think this is a guy who has a legitimate chance to be a 320 hitter with 15 to 20 home runs this year. And see, you stole my thunder. I was going to say Luke Hancock and for those reasons because he has a baseline. I mean, he's a guy who has good at bats. His batting average may not be great, but he's putting balls in play. He's drawing walks, and he's putting balls in play, and he's not striking out. i tell you somebody else, Charlie. I think about Cameron James because last year, you know, he lost his spot at shortstop. He wasn't fielding it well. Then we moved him to third. He didn't field it well there for a while. He took him out of the lineup. But then all of a sudden, late in the season, his glove was really good. And I think that's one of those things of he's gone into the offseason. He had a really good college World Series from a defensive standpoint. Because what did we say last year when Cameron was having his troubles over on the left side? It's, it's not about the action. It's not about the physicality of it. It was mental. I mean, he was he was having the yips a little bit with some throws. But I think a guy like him who has confidence coming into the year, who had a great end of the season last year, can be a guy in the middle of your lineup who can be solid along with Hancock. Man, because I think Hancock in the middle of your lineup has a chance to be really good. But I had Cameron James in there as well because you've got a guy that's kind of been there and done that 
but he's got a good taste in his mouth coming into the season. Hey, it's hard to believe baseball is here. Six weeks from this past Friday. So we're at five and a half weeks now to baseball in Long Beach State coming in here. I can't wait. Oh, I can't either. And today is not a great day in the city of Starville uh, in terms of the weather. It's going to be raining all day. It's a little bit ugly. We've had some pretty good days weather-wise here recently. But my best guess is by the time we get to the middle of February and it's time for baseball to go, it's going to be about 33 Uh, and cloudy, and the wind will be blowing about 20 miles an hour. And here's the worst part. Last weekend of January, just wait, it'll be about 80. Yeah, it'll tease us right there at the end. And then all of a sudden, we'll have to have the heaters and the the line jeans sitting at the ballpark. It'll be cold. And, of course, you know, everybody says, hey, you guys sit up in that press box. You You don't know how cold it is. Let me tell you something. That is the coldest place in that stadium. I've sat all over that stadium. Well, I've sat in the old stadium. I don't really think I've sat in the new stadium anywhere. But the press box with it being lifted and it kind of facing that north, you get that north wind coming in there, man. And we have to have the windows open because they have the camera in the booth with us, and so they can't shoot through the window. And so we're in there braving the elements just like everybody else is. Well, you know, we're burner, and those guys did a great job designing that stadium, but I've identified one deficiency and that is my personal comfort factor. Although I don't know that there was exactly room in the budget that cared whether broadcasters were cold or hot or any other uh, form of adverse condition. So, But it's coming. It's going to be close. I think there's a lot of really interesting storylines on this team. Who's going to play center field? Um, who's going to play right? You know, Kellum Clark had that big World Series where he just mashed two balls. But does that carry over? I think we're probably expecting a lot out of him. Where do you play him defensively? Is he going to be an outfield guy or is he a DH guy? Uh, What's Braylon Skinner going to do? The one thing you feel good about is Chris Lamonis being able to push buttons. And one thing we know, he'll make changes. He will do things differently. And by the way, Bart, you mentioned Chris Lamonis last night was kind of named coach of the year at the uh, ABCA convention, the American Baseball Coaches. Mitch Thompson, who used to be an assistant coach here, was a graduate assistant, then an assistant, was the junior college coach of the year. His team out in Texas won the junior college national championship. And then a couple other guys with Mississippi State ties, former player who had been coaching out in Georgia, uh, inducted in the Hall of Fame as well. Yeah, it's hard to believe baseball's here. Hey, Matt asked us an interesting question the other day on Twitter about the biggest at bat of the College World Series and was talking about Kellum Clark and the home run and breaking up the no-hitter against Virginia. And I think that's such a big game. I'd like to go back and see the teams that lose the second game in Omaha about them coming back and winning the College World Series because, you know, you're playing Virginia, you got a no-hitter going in the eighth inning, and you and I talked about the Scotty DeBrule walk, and then all of, you know, of course you had the Tanner Allen home run late in that game as well. Charlie, I'm a thought. I'm I'm of the thought that baseball is so sequential that everything changes when one thing happens, and so it's really hard to pick for me of what's bigger because everything kind of changes. I go back to DeBrule drawing that walk. He was down 0-2. Comes back and walks, then all of a sudden McGarry has to go from the stretch, and you know he get probably gives a better pitch because you don't want to get behind on Kellum Clark, and you don't want to walk the first two guys, and and then all of a sudden that brings Tanner Allen into play with a guy coming out of the bullpen throwing a frisbee that doesn't move. So, what was your thoughts on that? Is it kind of the same thoughts of mine, or did you have a big what you thought the biggest at bat of the College World Series was? 
No, I think you probably described it best, talking about it being sequential. I think the word that I'd used was that all of those, to some degree, are interconnected in the sense that uh, one hit is only big because of the hits before it. Everything depends on the other. If you go back and look at that College World Series run, there are so many big plays that removing any one of them, uh, it's kind of like a, a Jenga game, right? You, you pull out any one of those pieces and the whole puzzle falls apart. You know, None of those things matter if Tanner Leggett doesn't get that hit, which doesn't matter if we don't have a hit by pitch and a walk and things of that nature. So everything kind of fits together and has to be the biggest. I thought it would be an interesting topic, too. I, I responded to, to Matt's uh, Twitter question. I thought it would be an interesting topic to go back and say not just what was the biggest hit of the College World Series, but to go through and say what was the biggest at bat that wasn't a hit. What was the biggest bat that where maybe a guy moved a runner, maybe a guy did something other than getting a hit. And what I said was, if that is going to be the, the test that we examine, you would have to look very hard at Scotty DeBrule because he was going to be in about eight of your top ten at bats. You know, even in the final three-game series, you know, what do you always talk about? You want to get into a team's pitching. In that final three-game series, in the first six innings of games, so in those 18 innings, in his six or nine at-bats, he saw full count six times. He was averaging over five-and-a-half pitches in at-bat. You start looking at it, he alone was responsible for 19 pitches on one starter. And all of a sudden, you, you talk about a guy who's going to be limited to 100, that one guy getting into your pitch count. And, again, it goes back to what we talked about, too, earlier, Bart, with transfers. With DeBrule, it's the beginning of the year, you're like, man, boy, this guy can't do anything. By the end of the year, he had made the adjustment. He was having some some big time at bats for us. Yep, under six weeks to go now. And uh, Long Beach State, and we got Princeton on the schedule at Northern Kentucky early in the year. And then, of course, um, jumping to SEC play should be a pretty good year. And uh, in league play this year, everybody should be a lot of good teams in league play as far as depth, as far as the league. Anything else we want to talk about this morning? We've talked about basketball. We've talked about football. We've talked about baseball. We've talked about the NFL. Of course, um, we're brought to you by Strange Brew. Strange Brew, the best coffee known to man. Uh, two locations in Starkville. You've got Churn and Spoon Ice Cream as well. They've got the location in Tupelo. And so, Strange Brew Coffee. And uh, I went with just the regular, just the old cup of coffee this morning. Just regular old cup of coffee. I wanted to jump into your world. I went with it just straight black coffee. And, uh, Charlie, I mean, I'm sorry, man. I've got to go a little bit more frou-frou. I, I can't do the, the straight coffee. Well, you know, one thing that I am not a huge fan of is king cake. But some people this time of year, particularly guys like you who are Saints fans, really get into king cake. And, you know, they actually have some king cakes that you can pick up at Strange Brew. If you go to the Midtown location here in Startville, they have them. So if you're a king cake guy, maybe you can slide by there too because I know that they've had some king cakes available. Yep, strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. You can get some of their mugs. You can buy their coffee online. And like you said, their king cakes are really good. I'm a king cake guy if it's got, the, you know, the, the cream cheese and all the, the blueberries and all that stuff in it as well. I'm not a straight king cake guy, but I like all the other stuff that goes with it. The stuff that's good for you, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you're like me, you're not a king cake guy. They got the scones, they got muffins, they got all kinds of stuff in there. So check them out when next time you're in Starkville or Tupelo. And of course, thanks to our good friends at Tracks Plus. Tracks Plus, four locations. They uh, they've got the Barco equipment for the Forester. They've got the Saney equipment for the construction, the dirt mover, and so Tracks Plus. Just great folks, great customer service, and once again, our fine friends at Bank First, a growing bank, locations throughout Mississippi and Alabama, and uh, commercial lending, mortgage lending, anything you need. Moat Griffin and those guys over at Bank First get you taken care of on the banking side. Hey, Bart, I want to ask you one thing before we go. Is it too soon to kind of start to outline what our baseball plans are going to be for our shows during baseball season? Well, it's it's getting pretty close. I mean, we talk about it being under six weeks to go. So I think we do the Tracks Plus Deep Dig again on Friday. And then we do our regular show, our out-of-left field show during the week where we get interviews and we talk to different people around baseball and then we'll do our Sunday coffee and maybe something else. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I think one of the things that I have said that we sometimes get a little bit myopic when we start looking at baseball and we start to look at our team versus the people that are on the field against us, I would like to do a little look back every week where we talk about kind of baseball in the Southeast, primarily the Southeastern Conference. But, you know, look, I – I'm guilty. I want to keep up with guys like Lane Burroughs down at Louisiana Tech and uh, Coach Rock at Memphis. I want to keep up with some of these other guys. I think it would be good to devote maybe a show, you know, spend 30 minutes every week just kind of looking back on what happened in the Southeastern Conference and baseball in the Southeast and kind of keep more of a, a global look at what's going on. Yeah, just kind of a, a a review and a preview, review of the week before, a preview of what's coming up, in the, and it kind of give you a 10,000-foot look at where everything is in the, in the baseball in the Deep South. And I th- Yeah, I like that, Charlie. We'll take a look at when we could do that, whether it be a Sunday night or Monday morning or when it would be, and kind of add to our repertoire for the spring. So without breaking down teams at all, I want to go ahead and give you one pick that I have for this year. Most improved team in the Southeastern Conference is going to be LSU. Buy or sell? Oh, that's a definite buy because it's going to essentially be Arizona. I mean, it's going to be a College World Series team that moves to the South. Jay Johnson coming in as a head coach. He brought all those transfers from Arizona. It's going to get hot in Baton Rouge late in the year. Wind's going to start blowing out from the South. And all those guys who used to be bashing it out there in that thin air in Arizona, it's going to be pretty much the same down in Baton Rouge. Now, if they can get the pitching, that's the whole thing. Can they get the pitching to go along with it? But it's going to be Bash Brothers late in the year down in Baton Rouge. And so that's one of the things I want to obviously look. We're Mississippi State fans first and foremost, but we're also college baseball fans. I want to spend some time, you know, I want to dig into what's Arkansas going to have this year. I think they're going to be pretty good again. They typically are it's a fairly safe bet but I, I think LSU is going to be dangerous so I'd like to just spend some time every week looking at where those guys are how their pitching is coming along how uh, Vanderbilt is riding three guys into the dirt in the first two weekends when it's 48 degrees outside I, I want to kind of spend a little bit of time looking at some of those things this year Yep, no doubt. Hard to believe baseball's around the corner. We'll talk more about what our, what our spring plans are in the coming weeks. So, Charlie, enjoyed it as always. Yeah, so we've got uh, women's basketball today, Mississippi State and Vanderbilt. 
You and I have that broadcast. Don't forget about that. What's that, 2 o'clock? So the game is, I think, at 2 o'clock. And are you prepared for the game? I am aware that there is a game. I need a roster. That's all I need. I need a roster and a chair and a stat broadcast, and we're ready to go. That's all we need. If you don't know it, just make it up. Hey, enjoyed it as always. Once again, appreciate you guys hanging out with us on Sunday Coffee. Thanks to our great sponsors, of course, the Farm Bureau. Go with the home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents throughout the state of Mississippi in every county in the state. Their customer service is fantastic. And we're in the Farm Bureau studios. Of course, our good friends at Tracks Plus, Strange Brew Coffee House. Get some of those mugs and things online at strangebrewcoffeehouse.com. Bank first. And the Mississippi Beef Council, Beef, it's what's for dinner, brought to you by the Mississippi Cattlemen and their checkoff. So for Charlie Winfield, I'm Bart Gregory. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on Sunday Coffee.